We are continuing our summer series through our statement of faith called, I believe, or we believe, because we believe this together. We spend time not only in this series knowing what we believe, but we we spend a lot of time as a church and as Christians learning, rehearsing what we believe. That's important. We listen to sermons and we teach classes and we have Bible studies and discipleship groups and fellowship. We, we do a lot with the goal in mind of knowing what we believe. That's good. We're going to keep doing that. That's, that's, a, that's a healthy thing. But there's a, there's a hard truth mixed into that. And that is what I believe ultimately won't matter if I don't live what I believe. Because ultimately, what I'm living is really what I believe. Not, not what I'll debate, not what I could, could sit down and write out, or if you ask a question and someone could give the right answer. It's, it's really how I live my life. That tells you what I really believe. And so there, there's, there's something... When Jesus came, he did not come to simply give us a list of new rules. He came to give us new life, to transform us. And so it's this transformed life in Christ that we're going to focus on this morning. In the New Testament, we see that described in many different ways. And one of the ways that Paul describes it in Galatians is walking by the Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to read Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, and then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this gathering today. We thank you that we have the freedom to come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, opening up your word. Our desire this morning, Lord, is not simply to add to our head knowledge but we want to know you more so that we can live for you more fully. So Holy Spirit, meet us now. Transform our hearts today that Jesus, we may give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray, amen. It's been said that a sure sign of Christian maturity is that we are easily edified easily edified and hard to offend. I think that's true. I think there's truth to that. And and as we mature in Christ, I think we can see that play out. We, We are easily provoked to worship. We're easily encouraged in the gospel. And if I'm growing in my security and stability through my identity in Christ, then I'm going to be less easily moved off my faith less easily shaken because the, the fear of man is going to decrease and the fear of God will increase. 
Now, that's not easy. That's, that's not an easy way to live, especially as we are surrounded by a culture and even tempted in our own hearts when we look around and we see just the opposite. It seems like the world we live in now is so easy to offend and so difficult to encourage. One example was just last week, the social platform Pinterest announced that they were no longer going to allow um, diet ads like the before and after pictures, weight loss ads. Now, if they were doing that to cut down on false advertising and gimmicks, that's great. But apparently that's not the issue. Instead, it was to avoid offending anyone by suggesting that certain habits or lifestyles may be healthier or more beneficial than others. We're not even allowed to say, maybe there are ways we could improve. In this upside-down world we live in, it seems the cardinal sin is to actually say out loud what we all know to be true. We are not perfect. We are broken. We have flaws. And, and just to desire to mature and grow from what we are now to growing, we know as Christians, more and more like Christ, but to even suggest to the world that there's need for improvement seems to be unacceptable. I think it gets to the heart of self-worship. We're not allowed to say these things without, without offending because it comes against our favorite idol, and that is self. But that's why the gospel is such good news, because God knows how flawed we are and still loves us with an everlasting love. Jesus came not to take good people and make them better. Jesus came to bring the dead back to life, the spiritually dead, and rescue us from hell. Jesus came to bring transformation to our hearts and our minds that we could live for him and grow to be like him. We were reminded just last Sunday when Josh preached from Galatians 5 and the verses just prior to the ones we read that we have freedom in Christ. But that freedom is not a freedom to simply live however we want. It's, it's a freedom that's intended to allow us to glorify God and to serve one another. To be freed from sin and freed from the things that enshackle us and be freed into a life of joy and faith following Christ. But living that kind of life we know is not natural. It's supernatural. Can you still see me? All right, good. For everyone to trust in Jesus means everyone has the Holy Spirit living inside them. It means we have been given the power to live transformed lives from the inside out. Now, in today's passage that we just read, that, that phrase, walk by the Spirit, that Greek word for walk means to continually live. It's an ongoing state. It's not, well, I'm going to decide to do this or I'm, I, this happened one time. This is an ongoing lifestyle change, a mindset change, and it's all-encompassing. Everything in our lives is affected by that change. We also know when, when we read Scripture, when we are dealing with Hebrew writers, one of their favorite 
kind of tools to define something is to contrast it with its opposite. And so we see this kind of contrast going on with the flesh versus the spirit. Look at verse 17 again. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, I think it would be helpful for us to define that term flesh. That, That doesn't just mean the skin on your bones. That means the sin nature. That's that broken bend that we're all born into to reject God and to live for ourselves. And so the point of verse 17 is to, is to show us the reality that our sin nature and the gospel are at odds. That to live in the flesh You cannot live in the spirit. Those two are not compatible. In fact, they are at war with one another. Words that are chosen very specifically. There is a violent collision going on between these two mindsets. So for us to see practically, what does this mean for our lives? What does it mean in this contrast? If we just took that first category, living according to the flesh or being led by the flesh, what would that mean? mean? Well, Paul gives a list of sins that I would encourage you to read, but I just want to summarize some of these in some groups, if that's okay. Four kind of ways we can identify what living in the flesh looks like. One way is we become self-focused. My wants, my needs are central. Whatever I feel in the moment, that is my reality. That is what must be true. And therefore, I become blinded to the needs of others around me. So that leads to me, that leads for me to either be puffed up in pride or I'm crushed in condemnation. Another element of what it looks like to live in the flesh is we become self-sufficient. There was just this glaring example that I saw as uh, the kids and I were walking through Target and we're going through the, uh, the toy aisle and... Someone, very strangely, left a message on a post-it note in the toy aisle, randomly stuck on a toy, high enough for adults to see, so I don't think it was actually aimed at kids, maybe, but it just had this message. It said, you are enough, signed God. Now, (laughs) I'm just trying to have fun with my kids. And I'm being confronted with bad theology in Target. So, so first of all, God never said that. Okay, let's just establish that. Now, I get, I get what the person's trying to do. I, I get they're trying to be an encouragement to those who feel less than or who feel left out or feel like they can't earn or achieve God's love. Maybe that's what they're saying. And, and I get it that, that God's grace, what a glorious truth. God's grace meets us right where we are. Beautiful. Hold on to those truths. However, to look at somebody and say, you are enough, that is not an encouragement. That is just another form of self-worship. It's another form of self-sufficiency. And so when we say, I am enough, we are living in deception. We're not enough. We're broken. We're flawed. There's only one who is enough, and his name is Jesus. 
And it's when we confess that we're not enough and recognize by God's grace we're not enough that we then look to and put our trust in the one who is enough. Living in the flesh, we won't see that. Living in the flesh, we'll feel either condemned or prideful because we'll look in the mirror and say, I'm enough. Well, I know I'm not enough today, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, and it never happens. Living in the flesh is hopeless. Third, we become slaves to our desires when we live in the flesh. Just in a very practical way, the appetites and desires of our physical bodies begin to rule over our spiritual appetites. Things like prayer or worship or service to others, all those become foreign. They they seem strange to us over and above what we would want to put, and that is the cares and pleasures of our flesh. And then, no surprise, as we're walking in that way, those pleasures, those desires begin to enslave us. The things we thought we had control over now control us. And most of the time, if we're living this way, we just hide that because we want to avoid shame at all costs. And then one more category, when we're living in the flesh, we, we become blind to God's goodness. Our eyes are so nearsighted by self and the things that we don't have or all the things that God's not doing for us that we fail to see what he is doing and has done. We fail to see that in ourselves. We fail to see it in the people around us. Therefore, we are not going to live lives of gratitude because we're going to struggle with trying to answer the question, what should I even be grateful for? We're not going to be inclined to praise God. We're going to be inclined to complain and be cynical and be bitter And when it comes to others, our flesh is going to cause us to be critical of them, to only see what's wrong in them and miss the amazing evidences of grace all around us. Now, let me just take those categories for a moment and and, and say this. To struggle in these areas, that does not mean you are not a Christian. In fact, if we're honest, we all struggle in these areas. But the key word here is struggle, meaning you're not okay with them. You see these things creeping up. You, you said that thing that you regret. You did that thing you regret, but, but you don't cover it. You don't minimize it. You don't excuse it and justify it, but it, you're convicted by it and you run to Jesus with it. So please don't be discouraged. We all struggle in these areas, but we need to see what they look like because if we are living in these ways and we're not wrestling, but we're surrendering, we see unchecked, unrepentant patterns that if we're honest that those categories describe our lives, we should be concerned. Not hopeless, because there's hope. But don't Fool yourself into thinking everything's okay. Now with that, the contrast we're given is to walk by the Spirit. Let's do the same thing with this category. Four ways of what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. First, we're eager to repent of our own sin. To truly live by the Spirit only comes through the saving faith in Jesus Christ. When the gospel is illuminated to our hearts and The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and God grants us the gift of repentance. That means the Holy Spirit is is not only 
revealing to us the ugliness of our sin, but he's revealing to us the far greater beauty of Christ. He's causing our hearts to to see the flesh and the things of the world for what they are empty. And he's showing us the beauty and the substance and the joy that's only found in Christ. And so we run to him, not away from him. Secondly, living by or walking by the Spirit, we become consumed with God's glory. Now, that may sound strange, but but this is a very real thing, that you notice your own agenda. We're wrestling with that. I want my agenda today, and maybe not God's agenda. But in that wrestling, we have a greater desire to see God's will done than our own, a greater desire for God's will to be done in my life. I know my comfort can quickly become an idol, but as I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm seeing it. He's, he's revealing that to me, and I'm, I'm walking away from that, that comforts aren't, aren't killing me, that suffering is no longer something that I have to fear. I can walk through that with God's grace. And I begin to live in this, this peaceful confidence to know that everything that happens in my life is just another opportunity to give God glory. I begin to see everything that happens in life as just one more instance, one more chance to hold up the name of Jesus and say, Lord, you are truly enough. You are all that I need. Our statement of faith says this. The word of God assures us that we are his beloved children. Yet such an assurance does not remove the reality of suffering, sorrow, and persecution in this present age. The gospel enables us to rejoice in the midst of tribulations, assured that his purposes are working for our good, even in circumstances we do not understand. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, we endure in faith and abound in hope, confident that a day is fast approaching when sin and sorrow will be no more. What an encouragement. Third, when we walk in the Spirit, we will begin to recognize God's grace all around us. Instead of wallowing in self-pity and despair, instead of being shackled to the hurts and fears of our past, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to God's wonderful grace, and we begin to see it in ways that we missed it before. We live as someone who knows they are loved by God, not based on what we can do, but based on what he has already done. And we begin to start loving others that way as well, seeing God's grace in them and giving God praise for it. And fourth, we, when we walk by the Spirit, we become focused on loving and serving others. Now, we know the familiar passage in Acts 2 when Jesus said, that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he connected that power and said, to be my witnesses. So the Spirit of God, the power, is connected to being witnesses for him. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Christ is connected to something else Jesus taught when he said, the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Here in Galatians 5, Paul's making it clear that we are free, free from the shackles of the law, 
free from trying to achieve acceptance from God based on our behavior alone. And that freedom means we are now free to love and serve one another with the same grace we have been given. So there's a connection here between the power of the Spirit and love. We've already talked about the gifts of the Spirit and the empowerment there. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's the character of Christ. So the gifts of the Spirit, the power of Christ, fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ. And we've said this before, we should pursue the character of Christ before pursuing the power of Christ. That the fruit of the Spirit are being cultivated in us. So Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So we see this this bearing of spiritual fruit, bearing the character of Christ in our lives. There there is a proving that's taking place. There is evidence that we actually are disciples of Christ. And that's why Paul ends this chapter by listing out those familiar fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is one of those passages that is just very easy for us to recite and kind of skim past like a really fast grocery list. but I just want to pause and, and look at what those, each of those are. I'm just going to offer a brief description of each of the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to hear as you're reading. So drop down to verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So we said this is to genuinely care for others, to prefer and serve others above yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. I think of this as an exuberant hope. It's not happiness. You can be sad and still have joy. But there's an exuberant hope that views everything in life as an opportunity to glorify God. Peace, that's a quiet confidence in Christ. Knowing that in him, God's wrath has been satisfied. You are at peace with God. You are loved and forgiven, and therefore you can respond to others with that peace. Patience. One of my least favorite, one that I need, to wait without worry, to wait without worry, knowing that God is at work and his timing is perfect. Kindness, lots of t-shirts, be kind, bumper stickers, be kind. I can't be kind. I don't even know what that means in the world's eyes, but biblically, this means treating others with respect and grace in light of the grace you've received in Christ. Goodness. This gets to the heart of love. Goodness is to have no hidden motives for selfish gain, but a heart that is transparent, honestly desiring the best for others and responding from that desire. Faithfulness. Being dependable, being loyal and trustworthy in my relationships in light of God's faithfulness to me in Christ. Verse 23, gentleness. I think of gentleness like a a sacrificial tenderness in our words and in our actions, particularly toward each other. And then self-control. Self-control can sound like the one negative fruit of the Spirit, Self-control means all the things you say no to. Well, no is definitely part of that, but 
I think self-control is more positive. That is to respond and to react, not from instinct or our desires or our will, but from a heart submitted to God. To respond and react from a heart submitted to God as the Spirit enables. Now, we, we could just pause there. I know those are brief, but maybe one or two of those definitions are helpful for you to see. And, and I, I want to encourage you in this. As we read the fruit of the Spirit, as we're talking about living transformed lives, it's just a natural instinct for us to think about all the ways we fall short. So just in case you're hearing this morning a new list you're making in your mind that as soon as you leave here, you've got to do this and this and this and this, and you've got to address that and that and that, and you're making this list of 50 things spiritually to do this week, I just want to ask you, don't do that. Just, just erase that list. It's not what the text is here for. I, I believe one of the things that Paul is pointing out, as the Spirit dwells in us, that means the character of Christ already dwells in you. That means this list of the fruit of the Spirit is not something somewhere out there you need to go and get. It is something that's already in you waiting to come out. It's the nature of Christ. It's the mind of Christ. It's the will of Christ that is present in you in the Holy Spirit that we're not going to see perfectly manifest in this life until we are in the next life, but we are incrementally growing in that beautiful process of sanctification that we're beginning to see more and more of the nature of Christ shine through our actions and our thoughts and our desires. That's not us getting better. That's us decreasing, and he is increasing. So don't hear a new list of to-dos today. Hear that the nature of Christ, if you're a believer, in the power of the Spirit, in the indwelling of the Spirit, the nature of Christ resides in you. And in many ways, he's just waiting to come out. And I want to give you one more encouragement in that list as we see the fruit of the Spirit. I'm so glad Paul used the, the, the metaphor of fruit because fruit is not instant. He could have said coffee. Right, great, pour it, boom, drink it, done. No, he said fruit takes time. It takes time to plant. takes time to water. takes time to grow. We can actually see fruit before it's time to partake of it. If it's green, it's not ripe yet. You let it keep growing. You don't disturb it. And eventually it will feed. It will edify those around. What a beautiful picture of what Christ is doing in us and through us. So this morning, I want you to give yourself grace Fruit takes time to grow. You say, but I've been a Christian for 20 years. I should have this figured out by now. If we did, that would be one of the most dangerous places to be if we thought that, because then we would be saying, I got it now, Jesus. I'm good now. Dependence on Christ 100% of the time is the best place to be. So when we see those weaknesses, we run to Jesus. We receive his grace. We receive his instruction. And just like a seed has to be planted and has to be watered and tended, the fruit of the Spirit has to be cultivated. We need help. We need help from God's Word to water that seed. Help in, in unhurried time and prayer with the Lord that that's being fertilized. And then time with each other and fellowship where our roots are growing deeper in relationship with each other. And biblical fellowship to encourage each other in Christ. So these things are cultivated. 
Let me just encourage you. Christ is cultivating his nature in you right now. Paul gives this description back in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, meaning in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified life, living in the Spirit, that's real transformation. Real transformation will never happen by us simply deciding to be better. Just outward changes of behavior. That's not the goal. The goal is a transformed heart from the inside out. That was the whole argument being made in the book of Galatians. That if we just focus on the outward changes of the flesh and think that's where spiritual change comes from, well, Jesus didn't have to come and die. We know that salvation is a work of God's grace. Justification, a work of God's grace. So why do we suddenly think that daily Christian living has to be 100% in our own strength? It's not. Grace is not just another word to offer forgiveness. Grace for the Christian is the guarantee you are forgiven and the power to walk in humble obedience to the one who forgave you. Embrace that this morning. See your growth in Christ as a gracious act of the Lord that, yes, we walk in, yes, we participate in, but it is infused with grace. Our statement of faith says this. Resting in Christ's finished work never renders our effort unnecessary but rather enables the joyful pursuit of loving and pleasing God. Compelled by grace, believers grow in the knowledge of God, obey Christ's commands, walk by the Spirit, mortify sin, and pursue God's priorities and purposes. Although such actions are not the ground of our salvation, they demonstrate the authenticity of our salvation and are a means by which God keeps us faithful to the end. So church, be encouraged this morning. The power to change is not found in you and in your strength. It's in the power of Christ working in you, and it's the character of Christ working through you. So here's the challenge this morning. Not simply that we would know more clearly what we believe, but that we will take what we already know and believe and we would live it by God's grace that the transformation of our hearts would not remain private and quiet and hidden, but that transformation would become outward behavior, would become outward decisions, would become outward witnesses for those who don't know Christ and an encouragement for those who do. So this week, here's my challenge. Look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit understand and, and meditate on walking in the Spirit and what this looks like. And ask yourself the honest question, where are areas that I'm weak? Where do I need to grow? Is there a fruit or different fruit of the Spirit that, that I need to pursue God and just ask him to cultivate more of in my life? At the same time, you don't do that by itself unless you're also going to do this. Pray and ask God to show you where he's already grown you where he's already growing you, where he's already at work, 
What are some fruit of the Spirit that you've been able to recognize? That's not pride. We're giving God glory for it. But you've been able to recognize growth in your own life, in your own heart. And look at those fruit of the Spirit, and then you turn that praise to God, and you say, thank you, Lord. You are at work. You are faithful to fulfill your promises and grow me to be more like you. And so, God, that gives me further faith to know you are still at work. That gives me further faith in those areas where I feel like I'm just crashing and burning to know, Lord, you're at work in those areas too. Both of those are important. And so, church, as we humbly assess our own hearts this morning, we're going to recognize if we haven't already We are all in need of God's grace. And when we all recognize that, we're going to then begin to spur each other on in love. We're going to begin to provoke one another toward good works, toward worship, not in judgment, but in grace, so that we can ultimately see the mission Christ has given us to see the lost saved and to see the saved mature and grow all for the glory of Christ and for the joy of his people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is clear and powerful. Lord, what else but your word can can reveal to us your will and then enact it in our lives. Reveal to us areas you are growing us and, and areas we recognize we need to grow in. I pray this morning for the person who is here and would recognize they've not lived for you. Maybe they've professed you. Maybe they've even been water baptized. Maybe they've been churched. But they would say, I don't, I don't think I'm saved. Lord, would you meet them right now? Would you open your arms wide and offer them that gift of repentance that they would run to you, repent, put their faith in you, and be gloriously transformed? right now, this morning. And Lord, we pray for those who do follow you, who do love you, but we are aware of our own need. Meet us with your grace. Grow us as a church to resemble more of you and less of us. In Jesus' name, amen.